1: With Discover, limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: The Volume.
1: Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JASONT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, Hope and Why or text Hope and Why to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. hoops tonight presented by FanDuel here at the volume. Happy Sunday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great weekend. I literally just walked in the door home after a weekend in Las Vegas and what an incredible weekend it was. I had never been to NBA Summer Lake. I'd always heard great things. i had always wanted to go and the stars aligned for me to get to go this year and I had super high expectations and they completely Everything completely lived up to those expectations. It was an amazing weekend. I'm super excited to share everything about it with you guys. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of my impressions of what the summer league experience is like for those of you guys who have never been. I want to talk about that whole thing two nights ago with Kyrie and Russ and LeBron or more specifically Russ and LeBron in the arena, sitting on opposite sides. Some of the stuff I heard involving the Kyrie Irving trade. I'm going to give you guys my breakdown of the top five players um, in the draft that I saw there yesterday, I literally sat 10 rows up and watched game after game, Bear, didn't leave my seat unless I absolutely had to, to watch Paolo and Chet and Jabari and Jaden Ivy and Keegan Murray, all one after the other up close and personal and learned a ton. I'm excited to share my thoughts about that with you guys. And then after that, I'm going to give a quick, uh, uh, my quick thoughts on Dame and his recent press tour, trying to, proclaim himself as, I don't know, some sort of morally superior NBA player to his peers around the league. Uh, and then a little bit about James Harden and him potentially taking a discount to stay with the Philadelphia 76ers. But I want to start with the 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 overall summer league experience for just a minute because it really is amazing for those of you guys who have never been, and I highly recommend you go check it out. Even if you can just get out there for a day, if you're not into the Vegas thing, like my big takeaways, I probably won't go for as long next time just because Vegas is a lot to deal with. Uh, but basketball is almost secondary, which is weird. Like I. My favorite part of the trip was the basketball, but that's because I'm a basketball junkie. But like, it's weird. The event, the basketball is almost secondary. Everyone who is someone in the NBA in any capacity is there. Every member of the media that you can think of is making an appearance. Every player around the League of Significance is making an appearance. And if they aren't, it's because of some scheduling conflict or they're coming later in the week or they're coming next weekend. The, the, there's just a train of, of former NBA players, current NBA players, young, aspiring NBA players, and media members. It's just, it's just a, an unbelievable, overwhelming experience that is the NBA. And then you combine that with Vegas... Which is just something else. Like, first of all, it's outrageously expensive. I probably spent $100 on water bottles while I was there, just trying to stay hydrated in, in the Vegas heat and just nothing, nothing. It's kind of a remarkably set up city. I've been there several times in my life, obviously, but every time I go, I'm always blown away at, at just how wild that experience is in that city. Uh, a couple other quick takeaways the basketball is super intense. It's as high urgency as you'll find anywhere outside of the NBA playoffs because literally these guys are fighting and scratching and clawing for their NBA dreams. The level of defense and physicality. I actually, you know, I complained about the refs a lot on Twitter for blowing the whistle too much. One thing I'll say in their defense is like these guys who are fighting for their NBA careers, they're playing super physical defense and it does get difficult to uh, uh, to officiate um, but all in all it's an amazing way to evaluate talent like I said earlier I got to sit up close and personal just one after the other and watch all of the top picks in a super intense environment going against defenses that are completely locked in in a pressure environment like you you guys don't think Jabari Smith is feeling pressure. You know, being the third overall pick after having some hype as potentially being a number one pick and his weaknesses being put on display for the world to see, there's a lot of pressure there. And so in a lot of ways, it is a great way to learn a lot about basketball players and being in person is always the best way because you can watch their demeanor during commercial breaks while they're in the huddle, the the little details that the camera doesn't always pick up. I... You know as long as I uh, um, have the you know as long as I have the capability, I'll try to make it out there each year, at least for a sequence like yesterday's games because it's just a great way to learn about those draft picks and get a better impression of what they're good at, what they're bad at, what their personalities are like. Um we are going to go through the top five players in this draft again, and I'm gonna give you guys all of my uh, thoughts on what I saw from them this weekend, a couple of guys that really blew me away. People that I'm a little disappointed in. We'll get into all of that, but before we get into that, I wanted to get into this Russ Lebron fiasco because it was kind of crazy. Because I didn't know he was coming. Nobody knows he's coming. It's not like he's, uh, you know, announcing these things. But you know, you're getting ready for the Lakers game. There was a Warriors game before it earlier in the night, so the arena is packed for the Warriors game. Jonathan Kaminga and James Wise, excuse me, Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody both played in that game. Uh, Warriors fans tonight. James Wiseman is allegedly going to play. I am going to watch that game in its entirety on tape and sift through the plays little by little as best as I can uh, through the film. And I'm going to tomorrow do a a video that kind of just focuses on the Warriors summer league guys. Since they're all NBA guys that are allegedly going to be hopefully going to be in their rotation next year. I'll go over those guys with, uh, with all of you then I'm not going to get into them today though. Cause I do want to get to, uh, James Wiseman. Uh, but after the Warriors game, you know, everyone's kind of, you know, going to the bathroom, getting food, getting a beer, whatever it is that they're doing and getting ready for the Lakers game. And, you know, I kind of walk into the concourse. I got to see uh, my guy Raj. Uh, you guys remember Raj from state of the Lakers. It was my first time getting to see him in person. I met him right before the Lakers game started and we walk into the arena And there's kind of like this buzz and a a buzz that wasn't there the rest of the day. And everyone's standing in the arena and I'm like, what's going on? And everyone's standing with their phones out looking down towards one of the baskets. And I look down and there's LeBron James. You know, and like I've been in the arena with LeBron three times in my life. Um, You know, once in 2016, the year they won the title, and then once the year after that. And you know I I've never seen and I know there are other players like this in the league namely Steph or Kevin Durant but like I've never seen a person that has the fame aura that LeBron James has and every time that I see him in person that's always the biggest thing that stands out to me there's just everybody stops what they're doing and stares. <laughs> it's it's just, it's a wild thing. Um, but, you know, so LeBron's sitting down and then I hear that Russ is there, but I can't find him. So I'm like looking around all over the place and I'm trying to use Twitter to to locate where Russ is. And then I notice he's, all the way on the opposite end of the court, I was sitting just about like maybe ten rows up from where LeBron was uh, on the um, on that side of the gym, and I z- I'm like zooming in with my cell phone camera trying to get a look, and I see him over there sitting by the Lakers bench. I'm like, okay, that's interesting, but you know, you you're, never, you're not going to read too much into it, right? But then everyone starts coming by to say hi to LeBron. And it's just one after the other. Like, here comes Rich Paul. Like, here comes Damon Jones. Like, here here comes, you know, Rob Palenka. Here comes Darvin Ham. Here comes all of this line of other NBA players and, and personnel and people that are friends with LeBron. And it's just kind of like a, a train of people coming to say hi. Except for Russ. There's none of that going on with Russ. Nobody... You know, no, none of the Lakers personnel that I could tell went up to Russ other than Rob Palenka was the one that I saw. And then Russ never came up to see LeBron. Now, do I think Russ and LeBron aren't friends anymore? No, I don't think that's the issue here. But the point is, is it's awkward. It's awkward. And, you know, everything is, especially with LeBron, who's so calculated, you know, there's just kind of a weird vibe going on there. Uh, but one of the things that I that that I that was so that I thought was so bizarre about that whole situation was Russ. You know, it, it's kind of strange that he subjects himself to this. Like, you know the rumors, and you know what everyone's saying, and you know what's about to happen. Like, the vast majority of people, and we're going to get to this in a minute, think that Kyrie Irving is going to be traded for you. And you're sitting by the Lakers bench, you know, not going to say hi to LeBron or whatever. Which that's partially his fault too, right? But then you're also getting into the Lakers huddle and you're like coaching up Lakers players and like kind of acting like you're a part of everything, and and you are. But it's like I almost felt bad for him, but at the same time, I'm like but why did you do that to yourself? Like he kind of became the butt of the joke on Twitter that night, right? Like everyone's just kind of talking about Russ being at the game, not being with LeBron and hanging out with the Lakers guys. And from a certain standpoint, I want to be like, dude, like you, you don't have to do that to yourself, but like, this is the greatest example of why it's so important to move on from the Russ experience. Like, yes, Russ is toxic and he brings a lot of this on himself, but the Laker fan base is also extremely loud, and some elements of the Laker fan base can be toxic. And I mean, obviously, a lot of Lakers media is sick and tired of him, including myself. I covered the team last year, and it was like one of the hardest players that I've ever had to cover, and like arguably the most offensive basketball player that I've ever watched. Like, I just, he's offensive to me as a basketball fan, as I always tell you guys. And it's just a lot for him to be under that. All the time, and I'm ready for Russ to go somewhere else where he can be in a low stakes, low pressure situation with a fan base that will love him because they don't have the insane title aspirations that Laker fans always do. And there, he can kind of fall into the background a little bit and be Russ, because like as much as I know he brings this on himself, I just it's sad. It's starting to get sad (laughs) and. And, and I'm just ready for this whole uh, fiasco to be over. So um, I don't want to uh, jump to any extraordinarily extraordinary conclusions because there was a lot of intel in 2019 in the summer that was pointing to Kawhi going to the Lakers. It was like everything looked like Kawhi to the Lakers, and then it just didn't happen. And people within the Lakers thought Kawhi was going to be a Laker, and then it just didn't happen, right? But there's a similar feel from the Kyrie stuff That everything appears to be kind of pointing that way from what I heard from people who would know, including people that are involved with the team. They think he's coming. The Miles Turner stuff and Buddy Heald stuff is not a, it's not fake. It's kind of like a backup plan. But they think Kyrie's coming, right? So, like, everything's kind of pointing in that direction. I still believe it's going to happen. There was a night, the night before Kyrie showed up, he was at, I believe, a WNBA event or something like that. And someone yelled at him, you know, when are you going to be a Laker? And he said, soon, soon, or something like that. So, Kyrie seems to believe it's happening as well the one thing I was hoping would happen that would just cut just, just for the sake of the Twitter moment is it would have been cool to see LeBron come into the arena last night too, and just go sit next to Kyrie just to get everybody, just to whip everybody up into a frenzy. Um, but I mean, I, I, it's never over till it's over. And especially after what happened with that Kyrie stuff, you never know, or excuse me, the Kawhi stuff, you never know, but everything is pointing towards, uh, um, Kyrie being a Laker. And from what I understand, people with the Lakers also believe that's going to be the case. Um, And there was, I believe it was Chris Haynes, if I remember correctly, but someone straight up came out and reported yesterday that LeBron's not even going to sign his extension unless Kyrie's a Laker. So I would would count on that happening in all likelihood. Um, Let's get to the basketball, though. Because, you know, I had a lot of fun. I met a lot of people this weekend. I got to meet a couple of people on the Lakers coaching staff. I, um, you know, uh, got to meet a ton of my friends in the industry. Like I said, I got to meet Raj. um, And that was all great. And I loved that and that... It's important and it's a big part of why I went. But my favorite moment of the trip was yesterday when I got down there early and I showed up uh, early enough to get a decent seat, 10 rows up, middle of the court, and I just watched basketball. And for three games, for six hours, longer than that, because of the double OT game early on, I just, I only got up if I absolutely had to. And at one point, at like halftime of a game, I got up to get some food just so I, w- I wouldn't uh, uh, die of hunger. But I sat there, and I just soaked in the basketball. And the first game, I got to see Keegan Murray versus Palo Bontero. Then the second game, I got to see Jaden and Ivey. And then in the third game, I got to see Chet Holmgren versus Jabari Smith Jr. And I just keyed in on them and tried to learn as much as I can, and it was by far. I actually texted my wife in that while I was sitting there, cause I was having like a little moment. I'm like, this is cool. The summer league stuff is great. Uh, all the, the, the extracurriculars, but this is my favorite part. This will always be my favorite part. I love the basketball the most. And it was so cool to get to, to, to just sit there and, and evaluate basketball players for a couple hours. And in some alternate universe, I would have loved to have been a scout just to see what that is like, uh, to do that for a living. But anyway, so let's start with Paolo, because I want to work through the top five, and I just want to tell you guys my thoughts from what I learned. So I came into Summer League already high on Paolo. You guys knew that. You watched my pre-draft special. You guys watched my post-draft special. Uh, I, I thought he was a clear-cut number one. I'm even higher on him now than I was then. His combination of size, he's so, in, like, first night on Thursday night, it was Paolo versus Jabari. He is so much bigger than Jabari. It's not even funny. In an entirely different level of presence in terms of his physical presence. His combination of size and body control, how nimble he is, gives him so much capability to get to his spots. We're going to talk about this with Jabari Smith Jr. here in a minute, but he can't dribble the basketball right now. Paolo's not much better at dribbling the basketball. He's a little bit, but not much better. But he has the ability with his body to protect the basketball. And that kind of allows him to, even though he's a somewhat weak ball handler, to get to his spots. You guys probably noticed in that game yesterday that he missed a lot of fadeaways. And I understand that. But what I was looking at there was how he was able to get to his spots and comfortably get a fadeaway off. In general, he didn't shoot well yesterday. His shot has a long way to go. The big thing with him for his ultimate ceiling Will be his ability to shoot the basketball. I don't think that's going to be a problem, though. His form is more than good enough. I was impressed by his ability against great defensive players, and um, in super intense settings. Like I said, this is such a great way to evaluate because the players on the floor are fighting for their NBA lives, and they take if they can lock up Paolo, that looks great for them in their attempt to get a job in this in this uh, league, right? And Paolo was just comfortably getting wherever he needed to on the floor. And that was the most impressive part of his game. He almost has like a little bit of a LeBron Giannis type of thing where I believe he shot 15 free throws yesterday, 20 overall through uh, through the two games that I saw. Once he kind of gets by you off the dribble and starts going downhill, he's so damn big that like everybody doesn't really have much of a choice but to foul him. As long as he's strong with the basketball, they just start kind of wrapping him up. And it's like, yeah, they're ticky. They're, like if some of them are ticky tack, but it's like he's getting fouled as he's rolling downhill towards the lane. There were a lot of plays where you're like, oh, they're going to blow the whistle here. He's going downhill and everybody's grabbing him. And and, and that that comp- again, I think I attribute it to the combination of size and body control. Like the body control is is crucial for the back to the basket stuff. He's so good at getting you on his backside. Feeling which shoulder you're on and then spinning the other way. Generally speaking, when a player puts his back into you and starts to back you down, you have to push back on him to hold your ground. I mean, some people can pull the chair, but you have to try to hold your ground. When you hold your ground, chances are you're going to be leaning on one of his shoulders and he'll feel where you're at and he'll spin off of that shoulder. He's got all of the, he does kind of like that LeBron full court post up thing where he'll be working from the top of the key with the dribble. He'll push hard to the elbow. you'll you'll cut him off and then he'll spin back to the middle. He got bothered a little bit by help there at that spot on the floor. He had some turnovers that were sloppy there, but that's stuff that'll come in time as he gets better at seeing the floor. Overall, though, I was really, really impressed by his ability to get to spots and to get quality shots. Even though he wasn't overly efficient, that stuff will come in time. His passing ability was the revelation of this tournament. So, Obviously, when you're a taller player, the advantage there is you could see over the defense. And his ability to catch the ball at the top of the key, he operated out of the top of the key almost exclusively. And when he was operating at the top of the key, he could see cutters and hit them consistently. When he does that spin move in the middle of the lane, he carries the ball high and he keeps his head up and he'll hit guys cutting back door. He makes the extra pass. He keeps the ball moving. There were a handful of stretches, which is typical when you're in that environment when you're playing well, where he got a little shot happy, especially with the fadeaway. But for the most part, he kept the ball moving. He kept the offense flowing. He consistently made good reads. And if he can pass the ball that well, that's where he can potentially be an even better player than Carmelo Anthony. Like I explained, Carmelo is kind of like the player that he reminds me of the most as the big forward that can score from all three levels. Like that's if Paolo can get that, if Paolo can get the passing ability and his defense, which we're going to talk about in a minute, even if he doesn't reach the ultimate offensive ceiling that Carmelo had, he can be a better player overall. With his defense, he makes plays with his length, which is to be expected. Because he's a little bit big and a little bit heavy. Doesn't have overly quick feet. He did get beat on closeouts a bunch. He does give up dribble penetration. That's to be expected. But overall, with his overall impact as a shot blocker, there was a play in the second half of that game... where he was on the the right block and uh, there was a, a skip pass to the opposite wing and he closed out from underneath the basket to block a three-pointer. A lot of you guys probably remember the play in overtime where uh, um, I can't remember who it was for Sacramento, but someone drove to the basket and, and uh, had a wide-open layup and Paolo made an extra effort play from out of the play to come over and block the shot from behind. He got called for foul, but they reviewed it and they overturned it. It, he made a lot of plays defensively just with his length. And that's awesome because his instincts will get better. His foot speed will get better as he becomes an elite NBA athlete in terms of taking care of his body. He will get better at that stuff. So to see him already making plays with his length is super impressive. And last but not least, his demeanor, and this is the kind of thing you can only notice when you're there in person, this dude is a this dude is a competitor. He's angry when he makes mistakes, but he doesn't sulk. He... Um, lifts lifts up his teammates. He makes the right play. He won the game making a pass when they went to sudden death. By the way, incredible game moment of moment of the entire summer league. Uh, there's a there. Uh, um, the Magic are up by six with like ten seconds left, and the Kings go down and make a three, force a steal on the inbounds, and Keegan Murray actually patiently pump fakes and knocks down this three. The arena completely explodes. It was awesome. Then they go into overtime. It's this epic play where where Paolo ends up blocking the dude at the end to to save the game. And then the half-court shot almost goes in. And then it's sudden death overtime. But in sudden death overtime, the crowd is egging Paolo on to take one of his fadeaways to try to win the game. But he just made the right play. He saw... Um, his big man cutting underneath the basket and hit him. They made the layup, and the game was over. Uh, my friend uh, Roosh Williams, who covers the Houston Rockets, was down in the scrum, and he asked, um, um, he asked Paolo about his fadeaway, and he said it's something that he's been working on a lot, but that he doesn't want to fall in love with. Just says all the right things. Super smart kid is already savvy with the media. I thought he was a clear number one, and I thought he, I thought he had a super super impressive start to summer league. Um, moving on to Chet. So Chet had 12 blocks through three Summer League games, which is the most that you've seen in Summer League in five years. His blocks were impressive to me because of his uh, the, the second efforts that he was making in the out-of-area plays. It's not like he's just the low man you know, underneath the basket and guys are driving right into him and he's getting a block or he's guarding a player and the player's driving into him and he's, you know, absorbing contact and blocking the shots. In a lot of these situations, he's completely out of the play, either in transition or he's two passes away and he's making extra efforts to come over and block shots, which is what you have to do to get 12 blocks in three summer league games. No one's stupid enough to just repeatedly drive right at Chet Holmgren and try to take try to take layups. That would be a suicide mission, right? Right. Chet was making these plays out of area, which I was super, super impressed by. First of all, his handle was uh probably better than Paolo and uh, um, Jabari. Maybe not quite Paolo, but he's at that level. He handles the ball really well in space, in transition. That was, that was the most impressive part probably that I saw from Chet it was just when he gets the rebound and he leads the break. He had a couple of really nice dishes in transition, including one for a layup at the start of the game. Just Confidently dribbling the ball off the floor with his head up, keeping it, uh, keeping himself aware of the options that he had around him. He, the one thing I did notice though is that when the, ha- the he handled the ball well in space, but when he was pressured, he struggled, which is typical for tall guys. Think of it like this: a short player, the distance that the ball has to travel to get to the ground is significantly less. A tall player, the ball is just moving a lot more from higher off the ground. There's just more room for people to get in there. That was where. Um, Uh, that was where Jabari Smith was most important. In the first game on Thursday night, he definitely let Paolo get way too comfortable giving him space. In this game, he was getting up into Chet every time he had an opportunity, and he actually forced a lot of turnovers taking the ball away from him. The the best example I could think of to to kind of explain this concept to you guys is like what happened with Jalen Brown in the finals. When you're dribbling the ball in traffic and people are allowed to kind of hit at your arms, it's hard to dribble no matter how good you are at ball handling because it's not like you... Like if, you, if your brain is planning for the ball to be in one place and some dude hits your arm, you're, you're, just, you're not going to get the basketball. So where Paolo has this figured out is he turns his back to you and he protects the basketball with his body. That's what you have to do as a tall guy. So both Jabari Smith and Chet will have to learn, especially even as they get better as ball handlers, to use their body to protect the basketball because they're never going to be able to just mix up in front of people because of how tall they are his defensive presence is real. Like I mentioned earlier, there were a handful of plays where guys drove right at him, but most people aren't actually challenging him if they can't avoid it. His motor is real. Out of area plays, extra efforts. He is running up and down the floor in transition. The, he doesn't look like one of those classic big guys that hates basketball. He's a competitor. You can see-
0: all Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, That grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available
1: in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano. of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. eBay Motors
2: is here for the ride. You know what I remember about my first car? Is that the moment I got it, I wanted to improve it. Because like most 16-year-old kids, you don't exactly get... or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: See it in his demeanor. He, uh, like, a similar stuff to Paolo, like, angry when he makes mistakes, cheers on his teammates, has all of that positive, infectious energy. I, I was definitely a fan. He didn't necessarily blow the, the roof off of that place with his skill, didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, struggled like i said handling the ball around Jabari but you can see you can see the tools there especially on the defensive end um he had this screen and roll with Josh uh, Josh Giddy that was really effective yesterday now Josh Giddy ended up looking like the star in this particular play and he, don't get me wrong Josh Giddy was the best player on the floor but a lot of it has to do with the way teams guarded the pick and roll and it was exciting because you're going to see this pick and roll a ton over the course of the next few years Josh Giddy with Chet Holmgren so usually, you'll see you'll see when teams are guarding a pick-and-roll, they'll usually prioritize one over the other. They'll either bracket the ball handler, meaning like the big man will come over to the ball handler in a drop, and the guard will chase over the top, and they will kind of bracket and try to corral the ball handler, or they'll prioritize the roll man. The guy who's guarding the screener will stay with the roll man to take away the roll, in which case the guard has to do a lot more work to get over the screen. Well, because of Chet and his ability to basically be you know already a great elite vertical spacer in the NBA the screen defenders were were prioritizing Chet as the role man and so as a result Josh Giddy's man was getting caught on the screen and Josh Giddy kept getting right into the lane and getting fantastic looks in the short range to right at right at the basket that's going to be really interesting to see because now a lot of this is going to be on Josh Giddy he has to stay a scoring threat. I was really impressed by Josh Giddy, but like he's, his shooting is not there right now. He's got an awful hitch. He, he doesn't dip his legs the way he's supposed to. He looks very rigid while he's shooting, so he's going to have to work some stuff out on that front because if he can get the defense to key in on him as the screen and roll guy, that's where Chet will have openings as the in pocket passes and in lob passes up around the basket. Uh, one last note on Josh Giddy. Obviously, his passing is amazing. You guys all know that. The specific type of passing that he does that I think is super interesting are these baseball skip passes. And I think I tweeted about this yesterday, but it's such a great way to combat help defense because if you've got the ball on the left wing and you know the defender guarding the guy in the weak side corner has a foot in the paint or a foot by the block, you know it makes it hard to do things on the strong side of the floor, driving to the basket, running screen and roll because that defender's in there. But if you throw a skip pass... Like, usually the guy has time to close out because it's such a large chunk of the floor that the ball has to cover. But And LeBron made this famous over the years, but Josh Giddy has this as well. If you can lull the defense to sleep by keeping your attention focused on one side, but then hurl a quick baseball pass that's on a rope that hits the shooter in the pocket, that will make—not only will it generate an open look, and he got three assists early in the game with those baseball passes— but it also causes that help defender to think twice about coming that far over. And if you're always paranoid about a LeBron or a Josh Giddey making that baseball skip pass, it pulls that defender an extra step closer to that weak side corner, which opens everything up for you on the strong side to run your actions. Um, but I'm really impressed by Josh Giddey. He, he, he did a great job of like getting into the lane and initiating contact and using his size to euro over the top. To make plays, scoring and, and dropping off to Chet, he had one. Uh, uh, he had one in the first half of that game where he did that Euro step, and Chet got a dunk on it. Uh, but he definitely has to work out something with his shooting, and it's not just his jump shot; it's also his touch. He missed a lot of floaters and hook shots in that like five to ten foot range, guys. That's what makes Luca so deadly: is when he gets to that those spots on the floor as a big point guard, he's so good at making those short range shots. Josh Giddy has the potential to do some of that stuff he just needs to work on that touch in that spot on the floor um uh with Chet one last note with him the uh Kenny Lofton game which was in it was I believe it was in Utah everybody saw that Kenny you know Chet Holmgren has this incredible first game and then Kenny Lofton just bullies him and everyone goes like oh this is what's gonna happen to him when he gets into the league he's just gonna get bullied and I don't worry about that at all. And there's a couple of reasons why. How many players in the league play like Kenny Lofton? Like maybe Julius Randall, right? Like maybe. And not to say that there are guys that play bully ball, but not like that. They don't. And there's tons of film from when I was studying Chet of guys attempting to bully him and him still blocking them because of because of his unique you know combination of physical tools. So I wouldn't overreact to the Kenny Lofton thing. Kenny Lofton is a very unique player and he's going to make that Memphis roster. I don't know that he'll be in the rotation because what I worry about with Kenny Lofton is his foot speed and his ability to cover on defense in a five out system, just because I don't think he's fast enough, but Kenny Lofton is going to bully people out of the post at the NBA level uh, regardless of, I mean, there's, there's only going to be a handful of guys that can actually check him physically so that I wouldn't overreact to that for, for Chet. I, Chet is an immediate impact player right now in the NBA as a stretch five, he has a ridiculously high ceiling if things break right. I, I I was impressed with him, even though he didn't play exceptionally well. Um, Jabari Smith Jr. So on offense right now, the only thing he can do is rise and fire. He's tall, he's long, and he's got a good shot. So he can just elevate over the top of most people. That's the only way he can get to a shot right now, though. Can't dribble at all and doesn't have that ability to protect the basketball that I was talking about where he turns his back to the defender. Now, the rise and fire thing is a good foundation. It's a great place to start, especially with how well he can shoot the basketball. But it's just a foundation. He has so much more that he has to build around that. And the problem was, is you could tell his inability to get to spots so that he could generate easy shots. That started to affect his confidence. So then even when he was rising and firing, he wasn't hitting. And I I, I can't remember what he finished with yesterday, but I think he was, he was like 3 for 16 from the field at one point, and he, was, he had missed some makeable shots. But that's what happens. When you don't have a way to generate easy shots on a night like that, it starts to get in your head. Now you're rising up for those jumpers, and you're like, it's just not my night, and it becomes even more likely that you'll miss – and it just, it just starts to... It's like a compounding effect. So where I'd like to see him kind of improve there is to get a little bit more of a back-to-the-basket game. Work on fighting for position closer to the rim and get that fadeaway down over both shoulders so that he can get a little closer and start making stuff at about 10 feet, because that's a shot that he'll be able to make a much higher percentage, so on a night when he's not shooting particularly well, he can fight closer to the rim. And that's where when he gets his ball handling worked out, it'll be even easier for him, because that's where he can start to get to spots closer with uh, finishing, getting to the rim as uh, you know, and finishing over the top of defenders with his length around the rim, or like I was talking about earlier, uh, turnaround jump shots that are closer to the basket. He has to round that stuff out so that he doesn't get so down on himself when his shot isn't falling. Because he is absolutely a better shooter than he showed this weekend. His form is great. He's got good arc. Everything looks good. Just didn't shoot well because he's not confident because he's got some big holes in his game. Um, In the first game, the confidence really started to show in his demeanor. And you could tell because he wasn't being overly aggressive. At least in the second game, you could tell he was carrying himself more confidently, and that was showing in his shot selection. He did not go quietly into the night. He was firing. He was emptying the clip and doing everything he could to try to get himself going. The defensive stuff is real. He was really, really bothering Chet by getting up into his handle. There were several plays where Chet tried to bury him under the basket, and he disrupted him and forced him to either miss layups or blocked shots, which is difficult to do against a player as tall as Chet. Everything with the defense is real with Jabari Smith. That should get you excited if you're a Rockets fan. But he's got a long, long way to go. If we redrafted, I think I'd take him fourth. Like that. That's my big takeaway from the weekend. I I I I think uh, Ivy is just significantly better than him right now. Um, But you know, it's not. It's not a disaster. It's not like he's a bust. He just has a long way to go, and it's going to be a process. But fortunately for Houston, you got lots of time to figure that out. Um, Jaden Ivey. If we did a redraft, I'd take him second. I was absolutely blown away by him. Now, you guys already knew I was high on him. I would have taken him fourth over Keegan Murray. I thought that was a disaster from the Kings. But watching it in person, it was even more of a disaster. I talked about this a little bit in my pre draft video, but there's different kinds of athleticism. You know, if you watch Jonathan Kaminga, you think, oh my gosh, freak athlete. Because you just see the dude putting his head above the rim and jackhammer smashing everything that he gets a chance, right? But that's just one type of athleticism. There's foot speed, coordination. You know, Steph Curry, for instance, with coordination, that's a form of athleticism. Just about everybody playing in the Summer League was a better athlete in terms of size, strength, and speed than Steph. But that hand-eye coordination, that, that, that conditioning, those are all a, a parts of athleticism. With Jay Ivey, it's starting and stopping, the ability to go from full speed to a stop to back to full speed, and the ability to change direction while going full speed. And this is what reminds me so much of Dwayne Wade. We've had a couple of players that have been mentioned with Dwayne Wade in the past. Everybody mentions Donovan Mitchell. I don't really see that. John Morant, he's not like Dwayne Wade, but there's a similar impact on officiating where people can't keep him in front and he's flying into the lane and he gets like knocked over and he falls all the time and you just are waiting for the whistle to blow. But neither of those players really, really fit the actual physical profile and feel of a Dwayne Wade. Jaden Ivey is the first player I've seen in the last God knows how many years that moves the way that Dwayne Wade does. He, yesterday, he only played like six minutes before he checked out of the game with an ankle sprain, which uh, he tweeted out this morning that he thinks is fine. But like he was just confidently working up the floor and just dusting dudes off the dribble. But then comes the next step of the athleticism. Here comes the help while going at full speed. He can just veer off to the right to get around people and then veer back towards the rim. There was a play that he drew a foul on on like the first drive of the game. I encourage you guys to go watch the film of it because it was ridiculous. First play, I believe it was the first play of the game where he got to the free throw line. He missed the layup. The entire defense collapsed on him, and he just weaved through all of him, all of them, and went up and under and damn near made an and one layup. Every trip down the floor, nobody had a a snowball's chance in hell at keeping him in front. It was truly remarkable to see. He hit a three on the left wing as well. He drew a foul on a three at the top of the key. Was getting to the rim, was dropping off passes in transition. Just an unbelievably impressive performance from Jaden Ivey. I think I think he's going to be so incredibly good almost right away, especially in NBA spacing. They got him a real vertical spacing threat in Jalen Duran. that's going to actually help loosen things up around the rim. I, I, I was just blown away. A couple nitpicky things. His shot is still a little too slow and set. It, it, you know, very, very. It's not a hitch, but it, it's just very slow and set. But at the same time, Dwayne Wade's shot was slow and set. But because he was so incredibly athletic, and teams were so paranoid about his slashing ability, they played off of him. So it might not end up mattering. Um, but that was the one. If I had to be really nitpicky, I, 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 I would go. I would say that his shot needs to be a little quicker, a little more fluid. Um, but he was arguably the most impressive i uh, most impressive player I saw in actual play. Overall, I'm most impressed with Palo as a player in the sense that like he will project to be a better player in the long run because of his other physical tools with his size. But Jaden Ivey, in terms of actual on court play, was the best player I saw this weekend, and in by a decent margin. It just it just looked out of place. Like, he didn't even belong there. Just incredibly impressive. Uh, Keegan Murray. Shot looks good. It's a little flat, but it's accurate. It goes in. You'll need to add a little bit of arc there, probably. Another guy kind of like Chet, where he's got a smooth handle when he has an advantage, but he really struggled with the uptick in athleticism. He had a bunch of turnovers yesterday. I think he had a half dozen turnovers. But when he was, like, actually operating in space, his fluidity, is it stands out. And that's to be expected. He's a little bit older. But when he was actually in isolation, meaning when defenders were up in his airspace, he really struggled. He got bullied on post-ups, which was disappointing because when I was scouting him, I really liked his back-to-the-basket game. I thought he was uniquely equipped with a back-to-the-basket game that you don't see often from players at his position. Um, but they they're, they're like I saw him posting up and getting pushed off of his spots, which was disappointing by smaller players. The uptick in athleticism in that setting clearly bothered him a little bit, which was you know to be expected. That's not his strength. His athleticism is not his strength. He did make a massive shot to send that game to OT, which I thought was the moment of the weekend. Really, really cool moment for him. But like I like Keegan Murray. I think he's going to help the Kings. I, I think he's going to have a productive, long NBA career. I could totally see him being like an Otto Porter Jr. type of player. But this was a catastrophic mistake for the Kings. Jaden Ivey was right there for him. I think Jaden Ivey might be the second best player in this draft. I thought he was the best player this weekend that I saw. He was the the guy that stood out the most in terms of his incredible ability. And he was right there, and the Kings did it again. The Kings willingly passed on the better player for whatever the hell reason it was. I have no idea how they keep landing on these decisions, but I mean, I feel bad for Kings fans because Keegan Murray is going to be fine, but Jaden Ivey is going to be a star and and you absolutely could have had that guy. A couple of really quick special shout outs from some other players that I saw Aaron Wiggins uh, for the thunder, the six, eight, three and D wing. Um, I don't know how they got this guy. He's under contract too for the next three seasons on team options and non-guaranteed deals. So it's basically he's just under team control. And and like I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, the Lakers can't get a guy who's over six six that can guard multiple positions and shoot the three. And here OKC just has another one in Aaron Wiggins. I, I was really, really impressed with him yesterday. Another guy for the Thunder, Jalen Williams. He had uh um uh 10 points by the time that I left the game, but loud points, freaky athleticism, had a really nice up and under, had a really nice dunk driving baseline. And then had a uh, uh, a cut out of the weak side corner where he like went up and under and reversed it on the other side of the rim. I tweeted out the video of it. Really, really impressive athleticism from him. Most the biggest thing that stood out to him is you know uh, stood out to me from about him was his ability to cut. Um, Everybody thinks of like spotting up as like shooting, but it's not the only way to spot up. If you catch your defender in help and you cut and you time it right and you have a head of steam, you can elevate over everybody because you have the momentum because you're cutting, and it's another way to punish people for helping off of you in a shooting position. And last but not least, Ty Ty Washington of the Rockets, I was really impressed with his ability to get separation. Again, in this setting, with how intense everybody was playing, with how physical the defense was, it's just not easy to get to your spots. And so when you see a player that noticeably is getting separation from this level of athleticism and this level of defensive focus, it's it's really really impressive. So I, I was impressed by Ty Ty Washington. A couple of quick things before we get out of here. Damian Lillard in this weird mor- morality play. So he, you guys all you guys all saw the quotes, I'm sure. But he basically said that um, that he's hoping he can set an example to the future generations that you can be loyal to your team and play for the name on the front of the jersey instead of the name on the back. Now to be clear, I think it's cool that Dame's staying in Portland. And I I do wish more players would stay. I talked about this with Colin after the finals, but I think it's a big part of the future health of the league. But make no mistake, here's what's actually happening here. This is one gigantic attempt to control the narrative. And Dame frames leaving as taking the easy way out. And in a literal sense, it is because basketball is easier when you play with more talent. But it's also the easy way out to do what Dame is doing in the sense that he's taking all the pressure off of himself. If you stay in Portland and everybody in the league knows you don't have as much talent as the other top teams in the league, if you win, you're the hero who brought Portland a title. If you lose, it's you were supposed to. And again, I can't speak for Dame, but I like to think that I, I, I'm pretty sure that's a factor here. And that's why I don't like the morality play. It's dope that you're staying. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for Portland fans. It's great for the league. But it also makes sense for you to stay because it relieves pressure. And at the end of the day, if you never win a title in Portland, no one will judge you because of the fact that you never really had that much talent there. That, and and I, I know Dame's aware of that. And that's why he's releasing these quotes. He's not releasing these quotes to try to set a trend for what future stars will do he's releasing these quotes to protect himself and protect the narrative of his time in portland and 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 i i just again let's just call it what it is it's great that you're staying but we know we we know that this is a part of that story and that's why you keep pumping these quotes out into nba twitter and the last but not least james harden um intel is still working on a deal but intel is he's going to take a discount Hey man, like I, I I have been really critical of James Harden as someone who's distracted and who doesn't put the team first. If he takes a discount to help the the Sixers round out this roster and put together a contender, tip of the cap to James Harden that 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 demonstrate demonstrates a willingness to commit and a willingness to try to 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 achieve the ultimate goal, which is winning. So so kudos to James Harden. There also there there was some intel in the tweets that was saying that like the team is essentially pushing James Harden to take his conditioning more seriously. We're going to find out if that's the case at the start of the next season. Um, all right, that's all I have for today, guys. A couple of quick shout outs. Um, um, it was, uh, uh, several of you came up and saw me in Vegas and, and talked about how much you guys enjoyed the show. I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. It was great to get to meet some of you guys. Special shout out to Nigel. who went at one of the days I went up to, uh, UNLV to the rec center to play some basketball um and guy walks up uh really friendly dude and he goes like hey man i was just listening to your show on the way to the gym and I, that was such a cool moment for me uh because you know what was funny he de- he wasn't on twitter wasn't didn't see us there just happened to c- ha- find our show on youtube and and has been following and and you know what him and i guarded each other and played a little bit of basketball which was a cool moment and i uh it was really great to meet you Nigel it was really great to meet all of you guys I met there this weekend and as always I appreciate you guys supporting the show that is all I have for today remember tomorrow I will have something focused on the Warriors in summer league I will see you guys then